MGM got hit, you guys. The biggest, some of the biggest targets out there, people who have more cybersecurity budget than we can imagine, got hit. So what are you waiting for? This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about why companies keep getting attacked. In the first two weeks of September, the Las Vegas casino and hotel operator MGM Resorts was visibly hit with a cyber attack. Online reservations for the hotel stopped functioning. A TikTok user posted a video showing rows of digital gambling machines with blank, non-functional screens, all of them unoccupied on a remarkably empty casino floor. That same TikTok user also said that hotel guests needed a workaround to get into their own rooms. Quote, digital keys weren't working, had to get physical keys printed. They double booked our room, so we walked in on someone, end quote. A separate photo shared online allegedly showed that even the hotel's communication systems were affected, as a handwritten sign, which was really just a piece of paper, was taped to the inside of an elevator. And it read, quote, for any elevator issues, please use the radio for support, end quote. Below the piece of paper was a device that looked an awful lot like a walkie-talkie affixed to a handrail. As the public would soon learn, MGM Resorts was reportedly attacked by a group of cyber criminals called Scattered Spider, which used the Alpha V ransomware. It was one of the most publicly exposed cyber attacks in recent history. And just a few days before customers saw the end result, the same cyber criminal group received a reported $15 million ransom payment from a separate victim just one and a half miles away. On September 14th, Caesars Entertainment reported in a filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission that it, too, had suffered a cyber breach. And according to reporting from CNBC, it initially received a $30 million ransom demand from its attackers, which it then negotiated down by about 50%. These are multi-billion dollar corporations with outposts across the world, which should be proof enough that cybersecurity isn't solely a function of budget. But if it isn't just the budget, if it isn't just the dollars required for good cybersecurity, what is it? Today, to help us understand why corporations keep getting hit with cyber attacks, whether it means businesses simply don't take cybersecurity seriously enough, and what needs to happen for effective cybersecurity across organizations, we're speaking with James Fair, Senior Vice President of IT Services at the managed IT services company, Executech. James, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Super excited to be here. What an honor. We are super excited to have you here. I'm so thankful that you said it is an honor. No one has said that before. That's very kind. Um, <laughs> and so we'll write that high and we'll get right into today's episode. Like I said at the top there, right? There have been two 
major cyber attacks just in the past month, both against you know MGM Resorts and Caesars Entertainment. And one of the things that struck me as particularly noteworthy about the MGM attack is that it was so visible to the public. It was so known, like something has gone wrong. This is a disaster. Like casino floors are non-operational. People can't get into their rooms in the same way. And I see that and I think of that as like, that's an enormous reputational damage that's huge. That's something that just can't be ignored. And so all of that is to kind of just say, if businesses know the ramifications of an attack, they know that this could happen and they have the funds. We're talking about multi-billion dollar corporations. They have the funds to invest against these types of attacks. Are they simply not taking cybersecurity seriously? Excellent question. And my initial response is like, let's separate this out a little bit. So MGM, I have to hand it to them. Yeah, they got hit. They did something <laughs> wrong. No doubt about it. But for an organization that size to be back up and running in nine days after a ransomware hit, that is phenomenal. And that is, I don't want to downplay this. This is a great example of the way to respond. Yeah, we had to put walkie talkies on railings, right? And they were handing out keys and sometimes that got messed up apparently. But you know, they had paper backups and they were rolling again. Losses of what, four and five million dollars a day came to a screeching stop after just nine days. The average ransomware downtime I, I saw in 21, the statistics showed about three weeks of average. So to be back up and running in nine days, even if you have to do it with pen and paper, super impressive. Let's look at that as that's how to respond. Because unfortunately, part of the truth is if someone really wants to come after you, it's pretty hard to stop them. And this company is a pretty good indication. Unlimited funds or nearly unlimited funds, like you pointed out, yet they still got hit. So to me, that indicates we're all targets. And if it's happening to the big boys, it can happen to us. So let's use this as an example. How do we learn from this? Mm -hmm. Now, there's a flip side to that. There are absolutely companies out there who have just flat out refused, right? They see this stuff in the news and they do not respond. Every single week, at least once a week, I go work with an organization. And mind you, this is what I love to do. This is what we're all about. <laughs> we go help them clean up a mess, right? They got a breach, they got hit. And so we, we go help them take care of that and get, and get operational again. And you can imagine what the very next question from them is, which is, how do we stop this from happening again? I would like us to stop doing that, right? How many do we have to see? MGM got hit, you guys. The biggest, some of the biggest targets out there, people who have more cybersecurity budget than we can imagine got hit. So what are you waiting for? Get that level prepared, okay? That's my answer. <laughs> I like that you're, like you said, you're going into this and you see that you know people are saying like, how do we not have this happen again? And you say like, look, we shouldn't even be at this. We should be pushing there. Something that I wanna understand in all of this is how do these attacks happen? And I don't mean from like the logistical technical side of like, okay, there's a brute force attack or there's a phishing attack and you know, there's lateral uh, like expansion across the network. I'm not so concerned about that. I'm more so concerned about how do attacks happen based on things like staffing or approach or budget or just the way a company's attitude is about its own cybersecurity. How do these attacks happen? What leads to them? I would say if I had to point, there's, you know, a myriad of responses to that. But if I had to point to a single one, I'm going to say it's familiarity. It's letting yourself get comfortable. 
It's letting your vigilance slide. It's deciding that, you know, I've done this a million times and I'm clicking through this now. It's that, that level where we stop having, I call it a healthy level of paranoia. This day and age, you have to have some, not crazy level of paranoia, but some <laughs> degree of paranoia. When you're, you know, when you open up your email, I got an email from my mom. It's 2 a.m. I've got a level of paranoia that goes, mm, my mom's not up at 2 a.m. <laughs> right? Sure enough, her account had been breached. But so to me, that's where it starts. It's not getting comfortable. It's knowing that this is a potential inevitability and never letting your guard down. Something I wanted to go back to is you said that the MGM response is, like you said, a sort of model example, like a company coming back online so quickly. And you said even with the, you know, if it's done with paper backups, that's a way to move forward, right? That's a way to move forward instead of not moving Absolutely. forward, instead of stalling, right? And yeah. so I wanted to go back to this idea of, our businesses not taking cybersecurity seriously enough. And you've seen far more in your work than what we've seen. Like the, when I say we, I mean like the public has seen, right? Attacks that do happen. And so I do kind of just want to revisit that. Like broadly, would you say that companies are or are not taking cybersecurity seriously enough? Our niche market is the small and medium businesses. And that's going to get a different answer than if it were a large organization or, for, or schools or government. So for the small and medium businesses, I'm going to say, no, they're not. Now, you know, there's some measure of understanding there because it's probably some poor person working six days a week, 12 hour days, wearing 14 hats. And so it's hard to blame them. But that's not a valid excuse anymore because we know it's coming. For those types of companies, for the, uh, we call them um, resource constrained IT organizations. You want to believe how long it took to like come up with those words? <laughs> um, like when you're it's trying very to... politically correct, I like it, <laughs> <laughs> right? And you're like, what? It's not, you know, it's not market cap. It's not, it's not this. Anyways, when we're dealing with folks like that and we're trying to understand their limitations and their struggles, like you said, it's no longer an excuse to just say, okay, well, they're working six days a week and they were in fourteen hats and doing all this. If it's not an excuse, what are their solutions? Like, what do they do? Because they have one person, maybe three people at a time at the most. Yeah, this is where it's tough. How does a small shop stay safe? First of all, I think we as a country should be enacting rules and regulations and laws to help organizations get there because there is a there's a hurdle, right? If I'm I'm a cement worker, I know cement really well. I want to start a cement business. And I got to go into tech and large all sorts of stuff I know nothing about. Now I got to protect myself from that tech that I know nothing about. So we're miles outside of our comfort zone. But it should be kind of built into the model of business this day and age. I think everyone at some point, you know, they get a, a CFO, right? Uh, we have an accountant when we first start. There are all these levels and businesses at which point we decide, okay, it's time to invest in an IT person or contract out some IT work, right? There's always these, yeah. these steps along the way. And yet I don't see anywhere along the path where we start including security. So I think it really needs to start with that mentality that we should start with security at the very beginning. As we build this thing out, yeah, I'm doing cement, but I know I've got to bring in a security person. Otherwise, I'm risking those three other people that work with me. They might not have, you know, I may, may not be able to pay them tomorrow. So it's a big deal. We need to include it. But back to your original question, the answer is you got to start. And I know that if you're a small business owner looking at cybersecurity and the breadth and depth and the amount of stuff out there, it's probably overwhelming and you feel like deer in headlights, but you got to start. That, again, 
not a valid reason for not moving forward. Find an expert, hire somebody else, whatever you need to do, just get started. One of the things that we really pride ourselves on here at Executech is helping organizations, particularly small, medium businesses, the resource constrained folks, build a roadmap. So, okay, maybe I can't buy a firewall and antivirus and all these other things you want me to put in place, but I can get one of those and I can start next year with another one and the next year another one or so on. So let's build it into the budget. Let's build it into our future plans. Let's make it part of our growth strategy. Do you find on that idea there of, right, of just let's start with something, has there been a reluctance historically to just take things you know, to take a first step because I could see cybersecurity firms and I could see other like advisors saying like, no, you ha- you have to do all of this at the same time. Like you said, you have to, you have to have a firewall. You have to have, you know, like an EDR solution. You have to have like some sort of ransomware prevention and you have to do all of it. And if you don't do all of it, you're done for like, don't even try the first step. And so I'm just trying to understand, is there, is that the way it was? Is it like, were, were companies getting that ca- kind of really defeative advice? I'm sure that's available out there. I I hope that's not. And I don't believe that's the standard. I think by default, we're having conversations with people. And sure, there's going to be cybersecurity firms who who you say, give me a risk analysis. And they come in and they say, here are the 14 things that you need to change. (laughs) But, you know, again, that isn't going to work with the business model. So rather than checking out, how do we make this a conversation? How do we make this collaborative now? And honestly, I think cyber insurance is one of the ways this is happening. So we're seeing organizations getting cyber insurance to protect themselves against a $15 million ransom or $30 million ransom ask. And in return, the insurance company is saying, okay, fine, we'll protect, you know, we'll cover you, but you've got to put these minimums in place. Then a lot of organizations come into folks like us and saying, hey, how do we get put these in place if they don't know? So it's kind of creating the conversation on its own to some degree. The insurance companies are kind of enforcing it, which I like because that's where it should be. It's a good start. It's nowhere near where we need to be, but it's a good start. <laughs> you mentioned earlier also that you would like to see some like rules and regulations on this. I, I was wondering if you could expand on that because it sounds like the cyber insurance prerequisites kind of touch on that, kind of touch on like, well, if you're going to if you're gonna be cyber insured with us and we're going to help you in a ransomware payment, you can't just be out there doing whatever the hell you want, right? Like AAA isn't going to insure me and my vehicle if I say that like, yeah, by the way, like on the weekends, uh, I drag race, you know, like, um, and I also, I don't wear my seatbelt, stuff like that. They're like, no, 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 you can't do that. So I want to go back to that rules and regulations um, to expand on that and also to understand, do we have that anywhere else? Like, do we have regulations like in any industry that pertain specifically to cybersecurity? Uh, we do in the compliance realm. So almost every organization wants it to make it easier for their customers to pay. Therefore, they want to take credit cards. If you're taking credit cards, you have to be PCI compliance. Now I've got that whole (laughs) behemoth of regulations and compliance that we must adhere to, which definitely includes all the things that the insurance company was talking about and a lot more if you're going to be PCI compliant. So compliance is also driving it. But, you know, again, then we go back to the, and I'm not picking on anybody, but I see this a lot in in blue collar organizations. I'm going to walk in to a place 20, 30, maybe fewer employees and let them know that, hey, you've got to, you know, implement some cybersecurity. Uh, you got to look at your phone. I'm going to make you do this when you log in. You know, and they just start glazing over like, what? Man, I'm just trying to lay concrete. What are you doing to me? Yeah, so yeah. it's a tough conversation, but it's got to get there for sure. Anyway, back to your question. So <laughs> regulations. Uh, so compliance is one. We have to start doing it at 
unfortunately, and I'm not a big proponent of it, but at some point the government has to get involved and start saying, here are the things that we need to have in place at a minimum. Here are the tools to help you get there, right? Because we're going to provide those to you. You know, this needs to be a collaborative effort. I saw a post by the FBI director saying that FBI cyber agents are outnumbered probably about 50 to 1 compared to Chinese hackers. So they're asking the private sector for help. Like, please help us, you know, get through this. And this also needs to be the reverse. This needs to be a collaborative effort between business and government and, you know, any other organizations where we're doing this together. We're talking about it. We're open. We don't have to wait for MGM to get hit before we know that ransomware is a massive thing going on out there, right? We all know. We all see it. We share codes with each other. I think that's the way out of this. I think it was funny as you mentioned that there are employee forces out there that, like you said, they're just trying to do their jobs. And they, I don't want to say it's like, oh, they can't be bothered, but like sometimes they can't be bothered. You know, it's it's that simple. I recall particularly, there was a very short period of time where immediately after I graduated from undergrad. I was an after-school teacher, and I worked like at a public school. And we were just rolling out, you know, like cybersecurity defenses for our work machines. And I, who now work in cybersecurity, hated everything that I had to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt the same way. I felt like, why am I like? I'm just trying. Yeah. Like, I just have like 20 kids in a classroom, and I'm just trying to get them through the just day. Just want to get my job done. I just want to get my job done. And so I mm. wonder, like, when you've been faced with that, how do you overcome that? How do you help the companies that you're helping? How do you say, like, this is the way you communicate it, or is there a way around <laughs> it? I, I don't I don't know how to overcome a very normal instinct to say, I can't handle yeah, all this. Yeah, stop changing my stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I run into this. Even internally, I run into this. I, I manage the internal security here at Executech. And when we make internal changes, we're like, oh, I know you used to have access to all the clients, but now you have access to only the clients that are assigned to you. And now I can't go do my job if I want to go help somebody. And so, yeah, this is a very <laughs> common conversation. There's always the fear tactics, right? Look at MGM. It's mm. doom out there, man. <laughs> but what I have found to be more effective is a conversation that speaks to them. I want to help your organization be more secure and I'm not going to come at you with $10,000 of products and 73 hours a week of administration time to implement this. No, what we're going to do is we're going to put together a risk analysis. Then we're going to start knocking off those things that are really easy. Like, do you have multi-factor authentication turned on? Okay, yeah, it's a couple seconds of inconvenience, but it really moves the needle in terms of cybersecurity. So let's implement stuff like that. So let's start with the easy wins, the low-hanging fruit, right? And we always position it in a conversation that it's about the business. There's been, in the past, uh, someone may remember an old Wendy's commercial, it was all, you know, IT was all about, like, it's all about IT. Everyone bow down to IT. <laughs> but, you know, without business, there is no IT. We all know this. And without business, there is no security. There's nothing too secure. So let's stop dictating from the cybersecurity side. Instead, let's start having cooperative conversations to say, how can we implement more security into an existing business model without being disruptive or without being too disruptive, right? There's a, there's a happy medium there. And, and business is going to say, don't put any passwords on. And cybersecurity is going to say, put 43 passwords on. So let's start having conversations with those groups and finding a good middle ground. Let's stop scaring the leaders, the business owners out there away from cybersecurity by telling them they have to do all this, all these things. That's not helpful. They need a plan that is works within their budget and their business. So let's make those. Let's create those. I'm also curious about 
businesses that are running, you know, there's a very uh, specific example here, but businesses running on old devices. And I immediately think of hospitals because we're talking about a ransomware attack and hospitals are a frequent target of ransomware attacks. And probably every single hospital out there in the United States has like a piece of imaging equipment, like an x-ray machine or something that they need to do their jobs and yet it runs Windows XP and there's nothing they can do about it because it was made in 2000. And I wonder how do we talk to businesses? How do we create cybersecurity plans for businesses where, look, they want to take cybersecurity seriously. Let's say all the ingredients are there, the attitude's there, the budget's there. They're okay with a little more friction in introducing, like you said, like multi-factor authentication but they can't get rid of devices. They cannot get rid of devices which are vulnerable by their very existence. Uh, how do we help those? <laughs> yeah, great question. I got a buddy who works in a hospital system. He's an engineer there, so it's very relevant and very topical for me. To me, number one, those exist. There are absolutely cases where we cannot be compliant, where we cannot adhere, where we cannot be secure. And this is known, even in the compliance world, this is a thing where you can say, this makes no sense for my business to adhere to this. So number one, I'm gonna document all the reasons why this makes no sense to my business. And I'm gonna put a different plan together, you know, we're gonna solve it differently. And then we're gonna put all the controls we can around that to try to prevent it from being an issue. So have we segmented that thing out? Or can we just air gap the thing? Can we use flash drives or something else? Let's, again, let's work with the business so it makes sense because there are absolutely these cases. We do a lot of virtual machines of XP, and then we have to try to figure out how to make the USB device work so it could read the dongle from 20 years ago, <laughs> right? So yeah, I'm very familiar with this challenge, exactly. And uh, virtual machines is a good way to do it. We can, we can set up a virtual machine. In most cases, some of the hardware doesn't allow us to do that, but in a lot of cases we can spin up a VM and use it that way. There are ways around it. It's not easy, it's not simple, but let's do what makes sense. And I had this conversation, I think it was like yesterday, you know, it was a conversation in a thread I was in with a small doctor's office and they're saying, yeah, you need to spend $10,000 to upgrade your piece of equipment to the new piece of equipment that runs on the latest version of Windows. Yeah. And you know, they're like, what? And so <laughs> this is where we go put a VM in place or something like that while they figure out the budget. So again, we're gonna work together with the business to create a roadmap to get there. It's not today, but it will be tomorrow. And everyone knows it's coming. I've enjoyed that every example you've given, the approach is roadmapping or making a plan or working together. And it seems like it's very much, it's not this, here's a checklist. We made this checklist 10 years ago and we give it to every client no matter what. <laughs> and because like that doesn't <laughs> necessarily work. And so something I wanted to understand is this planning process, this roadmapping process, just so people can understand folks who maybe are going through this themselves, who run a business and they feel overwhelmed. What does that look like? Yeah. Again, from the cybersecurity side, there's an IT side, there's a couple of different aspects of this, but from the cybersecurity side, I really want to encourage sitting down and getting a complete inventory of your entire system. You cannot protect what you do not know is out there. And it's always surprising to business owners or CIOs or whatever it is when they've when we point out equipment that was somewhere in a back room somewhere plugged in and someone forgot about. So number one, complete inventory of everything you have so that we can address it. And then, as I mentioned before, let's I'm sure most of your audience is familiar with, you know, creating a, a risk register, building a task list based on risk and obviously to some degree cost, right? If there's three super high ones, one of them is easy to implement, let's go for that one first. 
So risk-based assessments and then evaluations of what to start on and work down from there. Let's not worry about what happened to MGM unless that applies to us, right? Because even though that's in the, because I see a lot of this, oh, it's in the news, let's go deal with that. That's in the news, let's go deal with that. No, let's go look at our risk register that we put together and determine what's at the highest risk for our particular organization right now, and let's address that. Something that you said also about like the hospital, right, that has this uh, uh, proposal or they're, or they're given the guidance that, okay, to update this machine, it's going to be $10,000. And it's an obvious sticker shock there. And what I am interested in here with that specific anecdote is I am curious, what are examples of businesses not taking cybersecurity seriously? Because I think someone could hear that. Someone could be at that hospital and they could see that their manager is saying no to a machine upgrade, and they could interpret that as like, well, my boss just doesn't care. My boss doesn't care about cybersecurity seriously, but that might not be the case, right? And so I kind of want to use that as an example to broaden it out. What does it look like when you go and you see this is the type of attitude that is actually antagonistic to us getting our job done? And, you know, I don't need names or anything like that. I'm just yeah. curious, what does it look like? How can someone know, like... Uh-oh, like I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I don't want to poke at industries, but that's kind of where we're going to go here. So mm -hmm. yeah, I have experienced that challenge personally with, <laughs> and I appreciate all they do and I value them extremely, yeah. but police departments are typically very resistant to that. Look, I'm trying to go out there and get a job done and protect people. Now you want me to jump through what hoops to make this work or to record my body? Now, you know, now I have to wear a body cam and I have to record my body cam footage and all that. So, and again, I totally understandable. If that was my job, he'd be like, get out of my laptop. I got stuff yeah. to, I got to go save yeah. somebody, right? This is stupid. <laughs> so yeah. uh, police is an area where I have seen tension between security and, you know, the organization. Not necessarily toxic levels, but I have also seen it in a lot of blue collar industries, construction, manufacturing, larger manufacturers, definitely not, you know, they know that they need to be secure. But yeah, a lot in the blue collar market, because it's typically someone who is non technical and doesn't want to do it. Like, I just don't want to deal with that. Get that out of my face. Because once it's there, I have to deal with it forever. But as long as I haven't dealt with it yet, I don't have to. So I'm going to I'm going to keep going through. They're using the computer, I guarantee they're hammering out their little quotes using one finger at a time to type them out. Yeah, I, so those are typically the industry, the blue collar industry and police are, and that's just my personal experience uh, from doing this, uh, are where I see a lot of rub. I am immediately curious about how, because the, <laughs> <laughs> right, um, uh, uh -oh. the story about uh, the tension with uh, police officers who, like you said, their job is to respond. You know, the job is reactive often by nature and it is reactive to emergencies it's not like it's not like reactive like oh can you get there like later today you know like it, it's <laughs> right like something's IT emergency, happening. yeah right it's something's happening right there and so i also consider it you know probably something similar to firefighters right imagine yeah. telling a firefighter that hey we're going to install all these systems and it's gonna create some friction between you and putting out fires which is like yeah. oh of course not so i'm curious how do you overcome that <laughs> where do you go from there you have to get buy-in, right? Any any changes require buy-in. So I'll reference what I've done internally. I was brought on a part of the cybersecurity team because there is that perception. And maybe it's created by security. Maybe it's 
not. But there's a perception that you're forcing changes on me. You're making my job harder, right? And so there creates this animosity. So I came in and I started having conversations. I've, I've mentioned this before. I mean, hammer on it, but it really is about communication. So I'm going to, in this case, tech leadership groups and saying, here's a potential risk, a vulnerability I see with us. Here's some ideas I have for following it, or, or even just asking them, what do you guys think we could do to solve this? Even if I have an answer in mind already sometimes doing that, it's a good leadership tip, right? You, you ask people, get their input, and maybe someone comes up with a better idea so you don't share yours, or you come back and say, yeah, I like those. What about this one? Have you guys considered this? Whatever you run with, it's really about having the communication with people, getting buy-in, and then letting them know, hey, this change is coming. Here's why we're doing it. Here's when I intend to implement it. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, let me know. And again, right, uh, you know, three weeks later, a week before, the day before, and the day of, I let them know it's happened. So lots of communication, letting people know that changes are happening. And to varying degrees of, of success, I recently rolled out a ad blocker across all browsers, and I did not hear a single word. Not one person complained. <laughs> So either oh. either the product is flawless and it wasn't me or I did a great job of communicating this one out or some combination <laughs> of the two. But it is possible to get by. And, and in, in the terms of the police, the same kind of thing. Let's sit down. What are your concerns? What are your challenges? Because in the case with this particular one, I was remote and I was distant. So I would go visit them, you know, quarterly. And so they had there were times when they would not see me and things would build up and they get angry. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, yeah, yeah. so frequent communication, open communication. That's the answer. That's the way through. It reminds me so much of, I used to be a legal affairs reporter. And so I reported on law firms, I reported on trials, and I spoke to a ton of lawyers, like as my sources. And part of that work actually included this spate of cyber attacks, I think maybe 2014, 2015, where law firms were getting attacked so that their clients' information could be stolen for like extortion mm. efforts, which is, mm -hmm. I mean, when you hear about it, you're like, well, that's really clever and horrible. Um, yeah. And so a lot of a lot of like increases in cybersecurity were happening at a bunch of law firms at the same time. And I was speaking to lawyers about how they were responding to that. And it was only resistance. That was the only way they were responding to it. They hated it. They hated having to log in to view files. Like they hated having to use multi-factor authentication to view files, just to access the servers, to access the corporate network. And something that I spoke to a couple of partners at a certain law firm where all of the partners agreed they didn't go like on the record with their names, but they were like, yeah, you can say this in the paper because we kind of want it to get out. They all started working on their iPads on different networks because they, for some reason, <laughs> the way the network was set up is they didn't have to authenticate their iPads. Wow. And Right, and so everyone started working on personal machines and just tossing aside their work machines. And I remember I told the law firm leadership. I was like, hey, this is happening, by the way. And it was like a red alert. They're like, what have we done? <laughs> like, <laughs> how could we have created this system? And I remember just so, I remember so clearly a lawyer told me that he loved flying for work because he could just say like, well, I have to bring my iPad. And he was like, my iPad's <laughs> easier to log in. And wow. Yeah. I don't know if they ever solved it. <laughs> um, <laughs> they may still be having that problem to this day, but it is a thing. It's a very real thing. You're just going to get resistance. I guess there's just, you don't know until you put these things to place. And I, to their credit, I think it was very much the opposite. They did not get 
much communication. Things were just lumped onto them. And of course, you know, they just kind of hated that. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm also curious about all of your experience, right? You've talked a lot about, you know, the, the folks that you work with, um, a lot of the businesses you're helping. I'm curious just here overall, are there certain lessons learned that you've seen just trying to connect the dots where you say like, hey, this is something that people often forget. This is something that businesses often forget, or maybe they get it wrong and, you know, we have to explain it to them. What are the lessons learned from your experience in this? I'm going to give you some, a little more esoteric answers actually. Yeah. So yeah. one of them is I really want to encourage people to pay attention to their instincts. In almost every major breach that's ever gone on, when people are interviewed afterward, invariably you will hear the response at some point, something felt off or some, you know, some equivalent to that. Something felt wrong. I felt like something was amiss. So whatever that is, I'm not going to sit there and debate what that is, wherever that comes from, that greater intelligence, subconscious, whatever it is, please pay attention to that, right? We've all experienced this in our lives where we ignored that voice and something did not go well for us. <laughs> so the same thing happens in tech, in cyber, in your organization, at work. If you feel something's up, just go tell somebody, right? Be willing to come forth and say something. And that's another one I'm going to, I'm going to touch on. We really need to encourage everyone to get past any level of embarrassment. This is happening to everyone, even the multi-billion dollar MGMs of the world. So just be willing to come forth. I personally get calls from general managers, CEOs, right? Executives call me all the time saying, I did something silly. I put my credentials in a place that was obviously a, a fake site. I downloaded a, a, a program and run it. Can you please check my machine? Let's be willing to come forth immediately. Don't wait <laughs> because the, the amount of damage that can happen from the time an attacker gets in there until someone can do something about it is pretty critical. So let's minimize that time as much as possible by letting go of any embarrassment, being willing to put our hand up and say, yep, I did something dumb. Please check my machine and make sure I'm okay. So that's number one, giving people permission to make mistakes and feeling like that's a safe environment for them to do that in is super critical. I talked about getting comfortable as well. And I also want to encourage organizations out there, particularly the SMB space or the, the blue collar industry to it is great that we have a perspective of stopping the attackers, definitely, but it, we can't end there. We must also now take on the mindset of what do we do when we get hit? And I didn't say if, I said when we get hit. It could be minor, it could be major, but you need to have thought it out ahead of time. This is what MGM taught us, that we have a plan ahead of time, we practice it, we train it, we rehearse it, so that almost everybody at least knows what's going on when the proverbial stuff hits the fan so that we can all respond in a timely fashion. We can be back, back up and running in a measure of single digit days. So yeah, I would start with that. Yeah. I also think for anyone at home who may be still cautious or embarrassed about reporting something that may have happened to them, right? Like reporting like, Hey, maybe you got fished. I would like to offer that I host a cybersecurity podcast for a cybersecurity company. Uh, I've been at this company for almost five years. And I would say in the past like two weeks, I absolutely reported a phishing attempt that I thought I got breached. And I thought it happened, right? Like, that's it. I was like, oh, that's it. And I, oh. I, I raised the hand and I raised up the flagpole. And thankfully, it was not that. But you have to have this thing where you don't feel embarrassed. You have to have this thing where you're like, look, what's more important actually is that the company isn't breached <laughs> like that's actually exactly. like if i had actually been breached that would have been 
not just embarrassing <laughs> like yeah. it would have been it would have been embarrassing yes but it would have been so many things more and so if folks are thinking like how do i shift that it is way better to be extra cautious than to lead to a disaster for your company um, people will thank you so don't feel worried about it is i guess what i'm saying to everyone on like listening right now <laughs> Yeah, and as a cybersecurity professional, I can tell you I would rather receive 100 messages from people asking me, is this legitimate, than let one of them that are legitimate get through. So be willing to go like, I don't, I can't tell if this is real or not. Send it off to someone who can tell for you. Be willing to do that. Yeah. We have talked quite a bit uh, around this like broader issue, right, of taking cybersecurity seriously, right, for businesses. Um, but I wanted to close on something a bit more directly and finish out here and say, is there a hypothetical moment where cybersecurity suddenly clicks for everyone? Because like you've said, you know, we keep pointing to things, we keep looking at attacks, we can all see it, like we can't ignore them anymore. So then what is it? And then if it is there, is there such a thing? Is there a hypothetical moment where cybersecurity is suddenly taken seriously by everyone? Um, <laughs> there's two different answers on there because one of yeah. them is if something so catastrophic were to happen to every yeah. single organization that did not take a certain step of cybersecurity, mm -hmm. then I think from that point forward, it'd be pretty safe to say we're all going to take that level of cybersecurity. Right. I am hopeful we are not headed down the doom path. <laughs> That's not like one day everything is poof, and then, yeah. you know, you're right, Y2K. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm hopeful that's not the case. I hope instead it's like IT, where we know that, okay, I've got, now I've got a couple computers in my environment. It's time to get myself a, an IT and a cybersecurity person. And yeah, that's, I, <laughs> that's the path I want to take. And honestly, what's going on out there is encouraging us to get there. We're seeing a cyber war going on with Russia and Ukraine. We're seeing cyber attacks from nation states against each other, against us. All this going on is finally causing us to go, wait a minute, we probably should do something different. And we're seeing this in our government. Earlier this year, I was part of a, a study to help research how we can bring cybersecurity trainings, teachings at a younger age. So we start at elementary school or middle school and how we can in introduce programs throughout the entire realm so that young, bright minds hopefully get more attracted to that than going to work for one of the attackers, right? So, and then we end up with a lot more cybersecurity trained professionals. And now we've got a generation of people who that's part of what they were used to. So it could be generational. I hope we don't have to wait that long. And I hope it's not a doom version either. I hope at some point we just realize, hey, it's just like IT. We need IT. We need cyber. They go together when we go to tech. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like making it the standard. Uh, and like you said, not just to making it the standard in terms of what you're supposed to do, but making it also standard as part of education. This is a path. This is a thing that you can do from day one. So I think that all makes a lot of sense. James, I wanted to thank you again for coming on today's show and for helping us explain uh, a lot of the things you've seen and actually distilling what could be an extraordinarily complex topic into what felt like two very digestible things, communication and planning. Oh, that's what I do for all of my things. So thank you so much for coming on today's show. It has been my sincere pleasure, David. You would ask great questions. I love the conversation. So again, I am honored to be here. Thank you again. To our listeners. 
We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at malwarebytes.com slash blog. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin MacLeod from incompetech.com, and our outro music is by Woa from unminus.com. Today's show has been edited by our podcast consultant, Eric Johnson, at lightningpod.fm. Thank you, folks. Thank you.